When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hey folks, so before you tap into this latest Lakers Legacy podcast episode, we'd first like to implore you to please take a moment to subscribe to us on whatever podcast platform you listen to us on, and also to please rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. Over the last six months or so, I have very closely teetered towards massively scaling back the show or folding it entirely into becoming more of a once a month sort of venture or a whenever we all have time sort of venture due simply to my personal career obligations. But yeah, despite heavily thinking about scaling the show back out of my love for content creation and out of all of our love-hate relationship with the Lakers this season, we have somehow managed to push through and continue producing this show at a weekly episode's pace, sometimes two episodes a week. But at the end of the day, we run on your guys' feedback and support. So if you guys would be so kind as to please, if it's within your means, to throw us a five-star tap on the Apple Podcast app, that'll go a long way in sustaining the show and ensuring its consistency to keep your ears litty and light, whatever the hell that means. Anyways, thanks for your support, and now, on with the showtime. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Yeah, exactly. So so that's exactly what happened with the Lakers at this year's trade deadline, NBA trade deadline. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. Tommy, your analysis of that... Um, what are they doing? Nothing, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> so welcome apparently. to our very uh, depressing, anticlimactic, womp, 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 post-NBA trade deadline reaction episode. As it pertains to the rest of the league, some very exciting things happened, including finally the James Harden-Ben Simmons uh, mega superstar swap that had been talked about over the last few days. Um, most of the biggest deals I feel like in the NBA happened 
you know, over the weekend into Monday. Um, the Lakers, as I mentioned, have done nothing. There were some proposed deals that we can maybe get into that seemed like they were actual discussions, but just didn't uh, make it the full way through. But before we get into all that, Tommy, why don't we just talk about how lifeless we feel <laughs> right now? Because, okay, so I think for me, okay, so I'll preface this with, before I get your thoughts on how you're feeling, obviously last night we lost to the Portland Trailblazers, and the Portland Trailblazers were playing guys that I literally had no idea even existed like CJ Ellaby and I've some dude named I feel like I know players. and some dude named Blevins. <laughs> like, so, so th- <laughs> that's who the Lakers lost to. They had LeBron James and Anthony Davis, uh, fully active and healthy, and it just seemed like everything was crumbling, and we were reaching a we were reaching an endpoint where LeBron James and Anthony Davis were pretty much making it known yeah, we're not doing anything with this team. Something needs to be done. Russell Westbrook even sat out with back tightness, quotation marks all around that. And, you know, you could tell that guy's all pretty much checked out because he thinks everything's being blamed on him. Unfairly or not, it kind of is going to be blamed on him, not only for the basketball play, but just the fact that it's his contract and his acquisition that has led us down this path. And so to have all of those bubbling to the surface and seeming to come to a head, and then the NBA trade deadline today, it passes at 12 p.m. Pacific time, and the Lakers have done absolutely nothing. I guess for me, it, this the rest of this season, I think I'm entitling this episode No Man's Land, because I really feel like, like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, what are we pushing for at this point? It just seems like we've, we're more directionless than we've ever been. And for the next few days or, or weeks, like the primary purpose is going to try and boost morale and get things back to a place where it's not awkward. And, and maybe that's easier. That Maybe that's an easier thing because it do- doesn't really seem like the guys hate each other. But as LeBron said, there's a fog around this team that's been bubbling forth and Nothing was done to address that. So I guess as, as a fan, given the context that I just laid out, how are you feeling? Feeling pretty awful. Um, you know, like your Portland comment was was a good one because I think like, look, we lost to objectively that line. I'm not saying Portland is necessarily, you know, once their trades go through or whatever, like they're, they get their guys and they're not necessarily like the worst team in the league. Um but that roster they put out last night would have lost to like a lot of G League teams, mm-hmm. I think, like in a competitive game, right? And and you know, Amford, it's just like we've been saying all year, you can't really point the finger at any one person. I mean, this is like a lot of issues bubbling up, and so you know, even before the deadline, I was saying trading Russ or you know making some fringe trades, it's not gonna it's not gonna necessarily be enough. But I think that's different than it not being a necessity just to even give us a shot to kind of salvage this season in some respect, right? And if anything, it was depressing watching this Portland game yesterday. It was like horrible basketball. You had two top 10 players, allegedly, playing 40 minutes, and you lost to Portland's G League lineup, okay? And 
you know, you can look at other stuff like why did Avery Bradley play 35 minutes yeah. and start in that game? You know what I mean? Like there's, there's like other factors, obviously, right? But you would think after a loss like that, and I know there's been many of these like new lows this season, like this is a low for this team this season. There have been many of those this season. And you just felt like on the eve of the trade deadline to go on the road after getting embarrassed on national television at home, right? Like you made that fake run to make it not look like a box score blowout, but TNT would have turned the game to something else if they had a chance. It was a complete ass beating. Okay. You go from that to losing to Portland on the road, like Portland's G league squad. You would just think that would motivate somebody to look at the roster and be like, okay, we've got a third of this roster that, effectively doesn't give us anything. How can we try to do something creative to try to move some of these guys? And maybe even the creative move is just dumping some of these guys somewhere with cash. So creative. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe throw in like a second round pick to like, you know, some team to, to create some roster space. Right. Or there's always, there's always guys being sold at the deadline for a second round pick. Right. So anyway, it's like you do something. And I think Dave McMenamin had that tweet that I shared with you, and probably most people have seen it, about what Kobe Altman did in 2018 with the Cavs when they were kind of looking like this, and you know they were supposed to be really good, and and uh, they were 31 and 25, or you know something like that at the trade deadline, and he made like he swaye is like, like basically a. A half of a roster was overhauled in one day or, you know, the days leading up to the trade deadline. And I can't remember if that was the year the Cavs won the championship or if it was the prior year. But the point is, like, they... They went to the finals, but they... Because that was the Jordan Clarkson, like Larry Nance, Rodney Hood kind of uh, rejigger. Exactly, exactly. And they, like, salvaged LeBron's last year. I mean, like, you know what I mean? They, like, nobody was beating those... Golden State teams back then, so it, but whatever they they salvaged LeBron's last year. They made a finals push and they looked dangerous. I mean, they they beat good teams that year in the playoffs, and and a lot of it happened because they made these massive overhaul moves. They didn't trade Kevin Love, they didn't trade Kyrie Irving, but they were still still able to like get stuff done. And we just have so much dead weight, okay? And I know that, like, you know, you can look at our roster and be like, well, we gave up so many picks. We don't want to give up more first-round picks. We have, like, five second-round picks, you know, uh, in the next three drafts or so. We have some players who, I mean, Wayne Ellington, you know, names that could potentially help a contending team. And we just, like, literally did nothing, it's just like I know the the narrative now is going to be like, well, nothing you know materialized, and it always gets you know framed with this 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 kind of mindset of well, nothing materialized in time. I'm like, what do you mean in time? This team has been trash for months. You know what I mean? It's like you should have known, and and they should have been looking to explore these options earlier. And you would have thought that if anything, last night would have been the final straw to be like, okay. This stuff that we have been discussing for the last few months, now it's the time to pull the trigger on all that stuff. And it's like, clearly there was nothing lined up. So it's all just like extremely, extremely depressing. What's what's even funnier is now they're going to have, like I mentioned, like part of their time after this, and thank God there's the all-star break, is going to have to be focused on rebuilding trust with one another. You know, clearing the air every day in practice. I mean, 
I, I guess I shouldn't read into how dysfunctional things are. It seems hella dysfunctional the way individual people and players are feeling, regardless of whether or not all these guys are friends. But what's funny out of coming out of this trade deadline period is the fact that a lot of the Lakers like play in foes all got better. And the Lakers are just like, yeah, yeah we got worse chemistry wise, like super worse to the point where we thought we were going to blow this team up, but we're still all here. <laughs> so, I mean, there's just, but the crazy thing is we've been playing like complete crap with our entire team healthy, right? That we're like expecting. I mean, yes, Carmelo has missed the last like three games or whatever, but Guys have been healthy. LeBron and AD have been in these games, most of them. I know LeBron was out for a few. But, like, it's... <laughs> Avery Bradley is not suddenly going to become, like, an NBA starter. Like, Ken Bays Kent Bazemore is not suddenly going to become a starter caliber player for this team. DeAndre Jordan is not suddenly going to become, like, a rotation player. Uh, you can go down the line. I mean, like I said, at least a third, if not, like, six or seven of the guys on this team are pretty much completely worthless for us and we needed to sort of replace them with some NBA fringe starter you could call them type players like you know top eight nine rotation type guys and the solid rotation type guys in the NBA we needed to add like two or three of those guys between trades and the buyout market and we've done zero and you just wonder like okay yeah you can fall back on well we're gonna play the buyout market which by the way like (laughs) The bio market is like going to take at least a week to materialize, right? Like, yeah, right, some right. the earliest guys are going to get bought out is today, earliest, okay? And who knows if it'll even be before close of business. And then you have to give a few days for those guys to clear waivers. Those guys are going to have, you know, if it's somebody we want, it's probably somebody a lot of contenders want. Like I mentioned, the Bucks just now have three open roster spots if they, you know, Greg Monroe's on a 10 day. Why would a guy who, you know, for example, you can make an argument if somebody's already won or whatever, but if a guy is like a veteran and could be helpful and is going to get bought out and has never won before, why would they choose to come here, right? So it, it, it's – we're not really putting ourselves in a good position. We're also like – it everything about this team and this front office and the whole organization, right, is like so contradictory at – at different times and they'll just say whatever they want to justify whatever their narrative is at that time. Right. And the example I'll give on this is for a team that's like put forth this, like I, this attitude of like, well, we want to be like, we want to be reasonable when it comes to the like economics. We don't want to go crazy on tact. If we waive a bunch of minimum guys and sign, replace them with a bunch of other minimum guys, we're going to pay so much tax because we're so, we're already like so deep in the luxury tax. Like we didn't dump any of these guys for nothing. We're going to pay like an Alex Caruso size salary of luxury tax if we waive three guys and sign three new guys, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's it just like where's the consistency? You know what I mean? There, there is none, and. You just wonder, like, what are you even going to do? Like, there is no buyout guy who is going to make you better than a 9 or 10 seed. And like you said, all the play-in teams got better. Our strength of schedule is awful. And we continue to look worse and worse and worse, even as we are getting arguably healthier as the season progresses. So it... It is just so demoralizing to know that there's, like, nothing that can really be done. Like, okay, great. Like Tristan Thompson gets bought out in Indiana and we sign him. And 
he comes and like you know adds another character to like our crazy cast of characters you know and and Frank Vogel plays him 35 minutes a game because uh. he gets rebounds but you know like it's just like you can kind of see the obvious stuff happening already but it's just like a whole like retread rerun thing going on directionless where a lot of Lakers fans like vehemently hate this team and the fact that we have to live with them for the next three more months as they, you know, fake try and compete their way into a playoff spot. It's kind of like this, what the Lakers have been doing within games where they're making these fake comebacks. It's like a microcosm for what they're about to do with this season, Tommy. Technically, right. they're not out of anything. So they're going to fake try and make a comeback and put on a brave face and be like, all right, guys, we still got this, okay? If we just band together and, you know, it's like we got Tristan Thompson like, here. I don't know why I'm using that voice. But I, yeah, I'm like, whose voice is that? I don't know whose voice that is. I think it's Phil Mike Handy. Is, it's Phil Handy. Yeah. Phil Handy is the only one who can save this team. Um, but yeah. apparently Russell Westbrook won't listen to him. But anyways, like, I can't believe we're stuck with this team. And that's why, like, even... So you mentioned the buyout guys, right? Tristan Thompson is probably the most likely because of his relationship with LeBron James. But let's say you even want a guy. <laughs> In the Los Angeles area. Exactly. Um, but even if you wanted a guy like, say, Josh Richardson, if he gets bought out. In order to get Josh Richardson, one, you're going to have to tell him, hey, we have a pretty good chance at contending for the title, which they don't, right? Right. In lieu of that, then you have to say, hey, we have a prominent role for you. And we cannot go down that path again of promising guys starting roles and like shifting the entire chemistry and balance of your roster. Although I guess you could argue there's not much to shift because everything's been jumbled every week. But it's just another wrench into everything, right? Especially if you assure someone anything. And so the buyout market to me is just a lost cause and which is why, well, I guess a lost cause in the sense that if we go down the way the route of thinking that I think they're going to go down, i.e. the Tristan Thompson route, right? But if you go back an episode prior where Tommy and I talked about moves on the margins or money ball moves on the margins, like my plan of, you know, cutting DJ Bays, whatever, freeing up two or three roster spots and then signing some money ball guys like DJ Wilson, who I think the day a day ago had 34 points and 17 rebounds on 14 of 20 shooting for the OKC Blue, like signing guys like those, a.k.a. <laughs> Stanley Johnson-esque guys, that would be the ideal route for me at this point, just finding, you know, diamonds in the roughs for the rest of this season. But do you realistically think that this front office will do something like that? No. Not even close. So, and yeah, it, So it's hopeless. There are... It's hopeless. And that, I think that's the best way to describe after those back-to-back losses like we just had. And by the way, the Knicks was a near blowout loss as well. You know, it's just we happen to play a team that's like worse than us even. Um, and in like in a worse chemistry position and et cetera, et cetera than us. Underperforming as badly as us. not e- Sadly, not even as badly as us. But... You know, so it's like we've been playing bad basketball for weeks and weeks at this point. I mean, the whole season has been bad, but especially the last few weeks. And to know that there is, like, not really any help coming. And to your point, to know that, like, even if we do waive some of these end-of-the-bench guys who are giving us nothing. It's going to be retread guys. You know that the, la- the lazy approach we're going to take is to bring in retread guys. 
As opposed to, you know, again, like what some other teams have done in the past to kind of set them up for the future, like throwing guys into unexpected roles and seeing how they perform. I mean, at this point, LeBron James, this is crazy. This is, I'm actually saying this at, you know, in February of, of the middle of the season. LeBron James has basically said this team is not competing for shit, right? So, like, when you're, which is, like, interesting because players are so careful about saying that kind of stuff. And LeBron was basically like, yeah, we're not even close to Milwaukee, who's the defending champs. And to basically have already conceded that, like, you're not going to compete for a championship, like, that's fine, I guess. I mean, it's like, I could have told you that two months ago, but, you know, you... You would think then, if you had any semblance of a brain in the front office, they would be like, okay, well, we need to at least, to your point, figure out how we're going to make this work next year. Because there's not like even an, there's not even a very obvious path to making this work next year. Um, and so I, I yeah, it, it would be great if we would wave like DeAndre and give guys like DJ Wilson a look, but I just don't think it's going to be like that. I think it's going to be wave DeAndre and sign Tristan Thompson. Yep. You know, wave Kent Bazemore and sign Drew Eubanks or I don't know who, right? <laughs> Whoever, like, yeah. like some, yeah, like random guys. Like it's not going to be like oh, wave Kent Bazemore and give Mason Jones a, a look since he's been doing well, like for our own G league team. Like it just, it, it, it's very lazy feeling. It's going to be something that's going to put on the facade that we're still a competitive team trying to do something big. But at the end of the day, knowing at the core of what this team has shown itself to be this entire season, you know, nothing is going to change that. Right. And so you might as well mm -hmm. internally try and pivot like what you've been alluding to, to trying to develop young young players trying to find new pieces for next season but it just seems like none of that is going to happen till the off season where we make sweeping changes so everything's kind of delayed we're, we're kicking the can down the road and so we are in this no man's land in between space where i guess we're just going to fiddle around <laughs> and circle jerk ourselves into trying to believe that we've got a shot in this year's playoffs. And I guess crazier things have happened, you know, like maybe this does galvanize everybody because they're so pissed off that something magical happens, but you can't, you can't rely on that at this point. Right. So let's take it to break. When we return, um, I guess we'll discuss some of the deals that maybe could have happened that the Lakers discussed and um, maybe try and find some silver linings. I don't know. We'll see, but yeah, we will continue our trade, our Lakers trade talk uh, after the turn. All right, so we're back. Before we get into our next segment, um, I don't know exactly, we don't know what the buyout market is going to look like, but for now we know that there are some young guys out there. I, I already mentioned DJ Wilson. I mentioned Tyler Bay in the previous episode. These are guys who I feel like fit the prototype of what the Lakers want to do, which at this point I don't know what the Lakers want to do. It's it's shifted every every month this season. Um but presumably they would shift they would they would fit what the Lakers want to do in terms of small ball micro ball and just be young players with fresh legs who will hustle and rebound and play some defense and fight for their NBA contract and lives. Um, so yeah, DJ Wilson, Trey, uh, what what's his name? Uh, Tyler Bay, um, and then Moses Brown of the Dallas Mavericks just got cut. So this is a guy who is raw. He's a project, but when he was playing for the Oklahoma City Thunder last season. He averaged 8.6 points and 8.9 rebounds in 20 minutes or so. So he is long and he's seven foot two. At this point, 
why wouldn't you give that guy a shot? You know, the Sacramento Kings just waived Robert Woodard, Woodard the third. Uh, he was a guy I was interested in 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 the 2020 draft. He's a he's a six foot seven wing with a seven foot one wingspan. That's another guy where you're like, hey, wingy sort of player. Why don't we give him a 10 day or something like that, right? I know this is all wishful thinking, but if you're just looking for you know off the bat names right now that I saw got waived. In my pie-in-the-sky world where the Lakers use their scouting department and get a little bit money bally and hipstery, those are the names that stand out to me right now. I don't know if you saw anybody, but for now, I saw Moses Brown, uh, Robert Woodard III, and also the Oklahoma City Thunder were trying out um, this dude named Mama Di Diakite, who was once on the Milwaukee Bucks, but he did a pretty serviceable job for them playing small ball five in his short stint with them recently, but... He's six foot nine with, I believe, a oh six foot nine with a seven foot three wingspan. No wonder Oklahoma City was trying him out. But he recently had like a twelve point seven rebound, two assists, three block game, uh, nine points, eight rebounds in limited minutes. But this guy has length. He's an interesting prospect. Um, he's another guy who I would be like, hey, we just want to try you out. But again, all this stuff is pie in the sky. So let's get to Tommy some of the trades that. The Lakers were maybe discussing. It was reported that they were kind of close to a Cam Reddish deal where they would send THT out, maybe Kendrick Nunn or maybe some salary fillers instead, um, and get back Cam Reddish and Alec Burks. Uh, So initially when I saw this deal, I was like, okay, this is just a very mediocre sort of, um, what's it called? Mediocre deal that doesn't, move the needle whatsoever mediocre poo-poo deal mediocre poo-poo deal but then i started looking into the contracts of uh both cam reddish and uh alec burks and i was like okay i can start to see the logic in this and obviously cam reddish while he has not been the best is obviously a prospect who's above six five in height and he's like six eight six nine uh he does have length he is shooting 38 percent from three this season um he is a guy who would fill an immediate hole on this roster and as opposed to THT would give the Lakers control over his immediate future because THT after next season has a player option on his $10 million contract whereas the Lakers have you know um, Cam Reddish's qualifying offer and then restricted free agency after that so technically if they wanted to they could keep him so looking at all that I was kind of on board uh, this morning when I woke up with the deal. I was like, okay, let's do this. And also Alec Burks only has $10 million on his contract next year. And then the year after that, it's actually non-guaranteed. So to me, I was like, oh, that's a very good tradable deal. And also it's good salary ballast for us again, where we can start to make moves and use that contract of his if we wanted to. And also he's a useful player, right? Um, So looking at that in totality, I was like, okay, I'm ready to, if they do this deal, um, embrace it. Even though I really like THT and I think that his development has been hampered by Russell Westbrook's um, presence on this team. As we saw last night, no Russell Westbrook. THT gets the ball in his hands more. He's able to feel the rhythm of the ball, get his three-point shot going because he likes to do those step-back threes and whatnot. And overall, he just looks like a better player. He's getting seven assists, right? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, so even with all that said, I had like kind of mind melded myself into yeah you know being 
amicable with the Cam Reddish, Alec Burks deal. But that didn't end up uh, happening for one reason or another. But I guess w- w- with regards to that deal, where did, where did you stand? I probably would have done it. I mean, I so Cam Reddish, although I think he... I've ne- I've never been a fan of Cam Reddish. I mean, even back to his like college days. Uh, so maybe I'm not like the best source uh, or you know most objective opinion because I thought he was so overrated. I know he was a high recruit coming out of high school, and everybody was talking about him in college. And I mean, when a guy is starting the season like top three projected, and then his I know he ended up getting drafted like what ninth or something. Like it was later in the lottery. But when somebody falls that much with those measurables and that kind of, you know, on paper seeming upside, I mean, the guy's a crazy athlete. He's super long, et cetera, et cetera. And he drops that much in the, in the draft after playing one year of college. It's like kind of a big red flag. Like we've seen, I'm not saying this guy's career is over. Okay. There've been guys who have looked really not great their first couple of years with these, with these uh, kind of similar measurables. And you can make a very strong case that Cam Reddish is, uh, you know, has more upside than THT. But I, you know, I wasn't super high on it, but sort of similar to you. When I thought about it more, it's like, look, I, I guess at this point, we know THT, okay? We haven't really watched Cam Reddish play for a whole season. We've just seen him play in spurts. So maybe that makes us more partial to THT. But objectively, I think you could make a strong case that those guys have the same upside or like, you know, they're in the same category of upside in terms of they could pan out and be amazing and, or they could just end up just kind of playing like this forever and being mediocre NBA players. But the nice thing about Cam Reddish that you pointed, like you pointed out is we would have more control of him. I think we would have him under the, you know, the, like you said, on our books for two more years before we could even give him a qualifying offer and retain him at that point, he would be a restricted free agent. If THT opts out next year, he's unrestricted free agent, which Mm -hmm. is crazy. Right. So I, you know, there's that aspect, which I think is good. Cam Reddish obviously gives us size. Neither of these guys really helps us this year. So it's kind of a, a wash there. Um, and I actually really like Alec Burks. I know he's been like a name floating around with Laker, you know, associated with the Lakers for like the last five years. He's almost become like Terrence Ross at this point, right? <laughs> but like he is a career 37% shooter. He could score the ball. I don't know if we're going to lose. We're probably are going to lose Malik Monk next season. And it would be nice to kind of have another option there. Plus Alec Burks, I mean, literally on this year would probably be our fourth best player, which is maybe more telling of how sorry our team is right now, but he would help us this year. So I was ultimately into, into that trade. Um, If, if nothing else, just to like kind of shake things up, up. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. At the end of the day, I don't know what happened that made that trade fall apart. It it may have something to do with the Goran, Goran Dragic going elsewhere and not to the Knicks. Right. Um, so the only other thing I, I guess that was mildly discussed was Westbrook, um, THT, and the 2027 first to Houston for John Wall and Christian Wood. I think where that deal fell apart is Houston Rockets didn't want to give up Christian Wood. Um, but I guess where do you stand on moving Russell Westbrook or wanting him off the team? Were you still of the mindset kind of like how we discussed the last podcast episode where 
Yeah, we kind of had to hold on to the 2027 first and think about offloading Russ in the offseason where we have more options. We can utilize the 2029 first round pick if we need to, but also maybe even get back quality players as well versus just a straight salary dump. Yeah, where did you stand there? Because there was also like an iteration of this deal. I'm not sure how credible it was, but there was an amendment to this where, or a modified version where Houston would want us to take on Daniel Tice's contract, which isn't that bad. And he's a useful player um, in exchange for not giving them the 2027 first. So essentially it would have been John Wall, Daniel Tice for Russell Westbrook. And due to the, you know, the cap stipulations where you can take back salary, 125% salary more than what you're taking in at that range of Russell Westbrook and John Wall's contracts of 44 million, the Lakers could have taken back 55 million in that deal. And essentially Daniel Tice's $9 million contract would have just like been absorbed there. So would you have done something like that? And where did you stand on trying to get rid of Russ at all costs now? So I'll, I'll answer the last question first. In terms of where I stood on getting rid of Russ at all costs, I don't disagree with their kind of thinking or what I assume they're thinking. I don't know what they're thinking. It's on anything really. But you know, I with what I I agree with what I assume they're thinking was, which was that if you're going to move Russ right now, it would probably cost a first. And in the hypotheticals that even you know made it out to the media, in any trade where we were offering Russ and a first, we were trying to get back like an, an actual like player or players that could help us this year or next year. And so I put, you know, the Tice trade kind of into that or the Tice proposal into that category because it sort of seemed like, okay, well, we'll take, we'll give you the first with Russ for John Wall, who God knows if that guy can even play anymore. Right. But if we're going to do that, Tice can at least help us like this season, potentially next season. His contract is movable, et cetera, et cetera. So I could kind of see that. But all that said, like, I do think, despite how bad Russ looks right now, and will probably look for the remainder of the season, I do think there will be options to move him. The Knicks are potentially going to miss the entire playoffs. Sacramento, despite their moves, are going to potentially miss the playoffs. And we know that the way that they're sort of angling their team, they, they're really trying to make the playoffs. Who knows what's going to happen with Dallas and how this Dinwiddie experiment turns out. And the big thing is, here's another, OKC is always there as an option. You know what I mean? And so here, here's, here's the thing. Like, in the offseason, you know, the biggest flurry when it comes to trades is right at the deadline. Like, literally the day of the deadline. And around the draft, uh, you know, before free agency. During that time, Russ will still be under contract. I mean, I assume if we trade him, he has to opt in. Um, But I I don't remember when his opt-in date is. But, you know, we will have options working with teams who will have more cap flexibility than they do now. So it doesn't need to be 47 going out, 47 coming back or whatever. Like, you know, there will be teams that will be able to take on slightly more than they're sending out and there will be options and they might not even involve us like dumping a pick or if we dump a pick, we're going to get like starter caliber players back theoretically. So I, you know, I, I don't necessarily disagree with it. I know that everybody or a lot of people just wanted the palate cleanser of getting Russ off the team and kind of moving on. And, and I hear that that's like, 
That's not, but I just think like in terms of process, we already, like, if you look back and track, which we've done right on this pod before, like we traded a first and Danny green, who by the way, is still like contributing on contending teams, like a first and Danny green to get Dennis Schroeder, who we just let walk when, who we clearly probably could have kept to be a backup point guard on this team. Mm, or at I, least some I, sort of, I need a palate cleanser of Dennis Schroeder, but I under I understand what people are saying. But you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. right? It's like, and he's an asset that got them something, like uh-huh. got the Celtics something. Um, you know, we traded then a first to get Westbrook, which is insane, <laughs> obviously. And then to trade another first to get off of Westbrook, it's like that's three first round picks with like nothing really to show for it. Um Unless we end up with, like, some more players back at the end of all of this, right? So it's like, I think, I don't know if that's possible, but I think it's probably worth holding out, um, holding out for, especially, like, when you look at teams like the Knicks. I mean, like, I don't know. I, I know our situation is very bad, but believe it or not, there are a few situations out there that are, like, just as bad or worse than ours, right? So it's like, there will be options to move Russ. Um, and I think those options look a lot more palatable in the off season. I mean, things change, right? And and the last thing I'll say is like Ben Simmons, after they lost that playoff series, people were like, trade this guy for a bag of potato chips. Like he's, he's cooked. Like there's nothing, you know, Good like point. you're not going to yeah. get anything for him. Like Maury is like so crazy that he's holding out for this, these stars. And then all of a sudden the trade happens and everyone's like, Brooklyn got such a nice young asset, <laughs> you know, for Harden. And so it's like things like mentality and, and viewpoints and whatever about all these guys change. Like THT in the summer, in my opinion, is going to be viewed as like, okay, this guy's 21 years old. He's on a reasonable deal. There are lottery picks younger than him that will be drafted. That's insane sorry, that he's still going to be 21 in the summer. Yeah, he yeah. he'll be 21 yeah. in the summer. And, you know, there will be lottery picks that are going to be older than him in the 22 draft. So, you know, same thing with Westbrook. Oh, well, you know, it was an outlier year. I, you know, maybe he's trending down, but he still has something to, to offer. It's a narrative change. All I'm saying is it seems crazy now, but it could change. And I think for all these reasons, it's worth waiting. I think those are all good points. And we're going to quickly shift into i guess the silver linings and the positives of rob palenka i don't know if you want to call it patience but it is that is what they ended up choosing at this deadline but really quickly i want to fit in here i guess for me personally i was you know rationale aside logic aside even after the podcast episode we had where you convinced me yeah you know just waiting out and keeping our asses for the summer makes the most sense after what transpired this week where things got even worse tommy i was like I was watching John Wall highlights and shit. I was like, oh, shoot. This guy can actually finish layups. He can dunk the ball. (laughs) He's playing defense. Like, this guy doesn't look that washed up. And if to only have him for three more months or to only utilize him for three more months, he's been refreshed the whole season. Why the hell not? If we have to give up the 2027 first, then we have stipulations of our own. Houston, you got to take on DeAndre and Bay. So I was kind of like doing the mental gymnastics of, what can make this palatable for us, even if we have to give up another asset? And, you know, some of the devil's advocate points, which you made, are one, well, I guess it would be moot, right? If we get John Wall, I was like, well, one, we get to see THT, right? But that wouldn't be the case because John Wall would be coming in. But maybe we don't play John Wall since he's been sitting out this whole time. But, you know, some of the benefits of not having Westbrook on this team is, again, the palate cleanse of everything, maybe getting a chance to really see what THT is and actually helping him develop and actually giving us a more clearer vision of how we want to move forward with this team in the offseason. But 
I guess we can still do that once we make the moves, you know, once we're eliminated, right? So, um, so let's close this episode, Tommy, talking about, yeah, what are the silver linings here? Because you mentioned you, the Daryl Morey comparison is a good example. You know, trust the patience, trust the process, right? And given that Palenka has made seemingly several what I would categorize as panic moves over the last few years uh, to try and bolster this team in a very misguided way, starting with the Russell Westbrook trade, but you could even go back to, you know, the, the Dennis Schroeder, Montrez Harrell stuff, uh, how he treated Marcus all, whatever. But hindsight is twenty twenty, right? We praised a lot of those moves at the time. Um, the Westbrook, we did it. The Westbrook deal, we didn't. The DeAndre stuff, we didn't. Um, but given that he's made so many panic moves recently, to make one additional panic move to try and undo your wrongdoings um, probably wasn't smart. And you're probably not acting in a position where you have a clear head about things. So it's obvious that they tried to make moves to the best of their ability without sacrificing any additional assets. They weren't able to get anything done, so they're going to pivot to the buyout market. What do you see as some silver linings outside of, you know, not surrendering any more assets, because to me, the biggest thing is, okay, we saw what THT can do when he's utilized properly. Westbrook is still on the team, so we're going to have to find a way to figure that out. But maybe we can move towards rehabilitating THT's value and just rehabilitating, rehabilitating THT's prospects as a contributing member on this team. Now that the dust has settled, THT knows there's no more trades that he's going to be put into for the rest of this season, at least. Um, and maybe we can move forward with an actual plan of attack with how to utilize THT. Um, and he's just genuinely a prospect that I still believe in regardless of how much he struggled because, I, again, and I'm sure the Lakers sold this to other GMs when they were trying to uh, trade THT, is the fact that his development has been severely hampered by the presence of Russell Westbrook, not to mention the fact that he was injured this season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, can you think of anything else or if you want to jump on that point too uh, of THT? Um, yeah, I mean, I <laughs> the silver lining of not doing anything is... The silver like lining of not doing anything. That's the title of this <laughs> like, podcast. Episode. Yeah, it's like you, at least we didn't do like what we thought. I mean, there are, doing nothing is very depressing as we've discussed in detail, but there were worse outcomes. Terrence Ross... Like, you know, like trading THT in a first round pick for Terrence Ross or Josh Richardson or, you know, honestly, uh, Eric even Eric Gordon. Gordon. I know people like Eric uh, yeah, Gordon yeah. and he's been productive, but that is just he's old. Dude. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's having like an outlier, like good season shooting on a team where he just has no responsibility, you know, except to just kind of cast off shots. But anyway, it, you know, it, it, there is a silver lining in that we still have the 2027 first. We will have the 2029 first available to us this summer to add in trade. So that's two firsts that we we have, which is not bad. We have like five seconds, like I, you know, in the next three drafts, like I mentioned, uh, although none this year, absurdly. Um, and we, uh, you know, we still we still have some young guys on our team. We didn't panic trade THT. We didn't panic trade Austin Reeves. We have some guys on reasonable, somewhat reasonable deals who can get us maybe something. And like you said, I. I think there is room for THT to rehabilitate his value. I think like it's so easy as Laker fans or sorry, it's so easy to buy into like the mainstream NBA Twitter idea of 
what these guys' values actually are. I mean, like, if Kyle Kuzma was a walking meme when he was on this team on NBA Twitter because it's everybody likes to hate on the Lakers. And now that he's on the Wizards, they're literally, like, trading the entire roster, except they're saying that Kyle Kuzma and, like, Beal and Kyle Kuzma are untouchable. You know, which is crazy. And and frankly, Kuzma's earned that, right? And and it's just like, oh, okay, this guy that, like, yeah, we never said this dude is Kevin Durant. But we also said that for his size and his defense and his ability to at least hit a three at a middling rate, like, how many guys in the league can do that for you? And he's young and on a, and a, on a reasonable deal. You know, so it, it it's like... I think THT also falls into that bucket. I think NBA Twitter makes his value so much worse than it actually is. And when you saw what some of these guys were being moved for, the THT was linked to, like Josh Richardson and and Gordon, it's like, okay, THT is his value is low, but I don't think it's that. It's not it's not Josh Richardson low. You know what I mean? And I think I was just gonna say for the next twenty games, I think he has a chance to bring it back up to level set it a little bit to where it it probably should be. Well, the other thing I wanted to add, though, when the Cam Reddish discussions were happening in the three-team trade with the Knicks and the Raptors was Masai Ujiri is one of the smartest GMs in this league, if not the the smartest, right? And this guy has been interested in THT since last season. You know, we just didn't give him up for that Kyle Lowry deal. And I know Masai Ujiri has had some misses with the Precious Achua thing, but Precious Atua was just acquired this season, so we still don't know how that story is going to unfold. So to me, the fact that a smart GM who's on a competitive team, a lot of people were saying, oh, THT can develop better on the Raptors because they're not playing for anything. And I'm like, have you seen what the Raptors are doing this year? They're sixth place in the East, and they, they're finally rounding into form with Fred Van Vliet as an all-star and Pascal Siakam you know, regaining some of his original value where it kind of sunk for a little bit in the last few seasons or so. I was like, they're a competitive team, and Masai Ujiri wants a, a flyer on THT, even with that, you know? he He's a guy who loves, like, these rangy, lanky wings. And so for me, it's like, maybe we should take some note and not sell the lowest we possibly can on THT, right? And so I, in that sense, I'm glad that we didn't. It's all about now, Tommy, and I'm not so confident about this moving forward, is how do we handle THT? How do we handle the rest of the season? Yeah. And this is where we go back to the hopelessness of it all, right? Because it's like no part of the process that we have administered this season gives you any confidence that we will know how to manage any of the assets that we do have remaining on this roster and not continue to devalue them for the rest of the season. Well- yeah, and, and the thing that's, again, it gets back to the inconsistency of this team and how, you know, that what they say doesn't always, usually actually does not match up with what they do. And, I mean, like, THT, you can argue about whether or not he got a fair contract this past summer based on how he's looked this year. But at the end of the day, this dude is 21 years old, and he turned 21 years old during this season, Okay. He's basically, prior to this year, only played one year, which was last year. Last year, he was thrust into a situation on a team with, that it was, like, you know, 60-plus percent of that team was defending champion players, and then the new guys we added were, like, 17-year NBA veterans. (laughs) You know what I mean? There was, like, Trez, obviously, but there was Marcus Saul and Wes Matthews. These guys were significant rotation pieces for us, played a lot of games for us, and THT was playing with those guys plus KCP, Caruso, uh, Kuzma, and so 
his role was basically we have nobody LeBron's missed half the year. We have nobody who can dribble the ball. So you're going to have to just handle the ball 100% of the time you're on the court and put as much pressure on the rim as possible. And for a 20-year-old in his first action, he exceeded expectations, okay? And and I think this year it's sort of level set more. Team scout for him. His maybe some of his other weaknesses become more exposed because we flipped the whole roster, right? Except for him and two other guys. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it THT still has there's still something there, okay? But he the way that we manage these assets is just so poor. No other team that is realistically competing for a championship came into the season being like, yeah, this 20 year old who we're paying $10 million to is going to be our third highest paid player. And you know, the, or sorry, fourth highest paid player. And thus the most important piece on this roster outside of our big three, no other competitive team would reasonably do that. Right, so for for a twenty year old, and that has nothing to do with how good or not good THT is. It's just putting him in such a bad position because this dude still needs time to develop. You know what I mean? And so it, it just like again, the inconsistencies are alarming it, it, at every kind of step of the way. Well, to tack on to that, why would you? And I, I actually, in a vacuum, right? I think both of you, you and I, would say we if if it came to the fact that you had to choose between. THT and a Caruso as a prospect in a vacuum, I think we'd both choose THT, right? For the age factor, the versatility, etc. Putting that aside, though, if you knew that you were going to trade for Russell Westbrook and you did that, that was your first move of the offseason, essentially. Why then would you, if you made a choice between THT and Caruso because of luxury tax reasons, why then would you not pay $10 million to Caruso instead, a player who right. would fit better with Westbrook, but instead you chose to give it to THT, a player who you knew the moment Westbrook stepped onto the floor and this court, his value would just decrease, regardless of whether or not your plans for him were to make him like a wing. It's like, dude, THT just turned 21. All he's ever known in his life is to have the ball in his hands and to dominate that way. And all of a sudden, you're going to ask him to try and be Kyle Kuzma, like who took two or three years to become a competent defender. Like it just doesn't make any freaking sense. What the logic? It's crazy. It's crazy. And and Kuzma got blasted for this stuff for the same reason, right? And by the way, Kuzma, who had already been in the league for like four years. On the championship team was playing like 15 minutes a game in the finals. You know, he was barely in the rotation. And he was, by the way, at that point, a well above average defender. Mm -hmm. He didn't even become like a serious, like, like go-to rotation type to play uh, player and an above average defender until the year after we won the championship. Right. So it's like. Exactly. (laughs) To your point, like, how do you, how do you look at THT and be like, yeah, 20 year old, like you've been on the team for a year and a half. Uh, One of those years was pandemic. It's like, you know, you go to a college junior who's really like a freshman because they've never been on campus due to COVID. And you're like, show me around campus. You know, that's like what they're they're doing with (laughs) THT right now. It's like, you never really played in games um, that mattered. Uh, But by the way, you're going to, like be starting for us or be like our sixth man uh, on this team that's trying to compete for a championship. And we're going to put nothing around you that really makes sense. And we're not going to utilize your best strengths. And this is on top of the fact that we also signed 
Malik Monk, Kendrick Nunn. At the time, I guess we were all under this, like, you know, crazy haze. We're like, oh, ball handlers galore. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> and then well, the, the reality set in, and we're like, oh, Russell Westbrook's not Russell Westbrook anymore. Uh, Frank Vogel is going to continue to misutilize lineups. Kendrick Nunn is obviously out for the whole season, etc. But it, it just there's like a lack of actual intuitive thinking that is very concerning here. And and another point I'll make is the fact that we're trying to trade THT for Cam Reddish, who at this point, if we had gotten Cam Reddish, Tommy, what type of player would you want Cam Reddish to be? Would you hope he'd, he'd become on our team if we traded for him? I thought about this and I was like, oh, I guess we'd want him to be Kyle Kuzma, huh? Yeah, and exactly. It's just so and it's like stupid. It's like, I know. And by the way, by the time he would become as good as Kuzma is, he would be making like more money than Kuzma is. Like he's he's a top ten pick, and we've seen the story over and over and over again. When guys are top ten picks, even if they underperform, when it comes time to their first contract extension, they always get overpaid. You know what I mean? Because they they're and we had Cal and Kuzma. we had that guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just, like, so many things. Like, we had Montrez who was, like, Montrez was flipped for assets today. Like, I don't really know much about the, I know it was just, like, kind of some guys who weren't really in the rotation with Charlotte, but he was flipped for some young players. Carey is, like, wasn't Vernon Carey drafted, like, two years ago or something? Like, he's pretty, yeah, he's pretty yeah. young, right? He's at least a flyer so that you can, yeah. Yeah, it's like when you see all these kind of middling trades that happened, it's like, gee, I wonder if we had like a $14 million player who was the starting guard on the championship team on like a, re, you know, expiring contract that we could have moved. Like, it, it, it's just like there was, there's poor decision after poor decision after poor decision in this process. And I'm, it's just like, it's truly amazing. And I don't know how we trudged forward with the rest of the season being like, all right, we got this guy. So those are the things that like haunt you at night. And I think the most damning part of this all, you know, talking about THT, the position we put him in, the Westbrook thing is that even with how much THT has struggled, Tommy, here's the dirty little secret. I'm not sure that if you didn't just give Russell Westbrook's usage and the, the leash that we've given Russell Westbrook to make the mistakes that he's made, to THT, that THT wouldn't be able to find his way into being a more productive player. I mean, he's already been closing games <laughs> over Westbrook. So what are we doing here where the $10 million player may be a better long-term fit for the team, but also a better short-term fit over the guy you traded multiple assets for, who's making $44 million and who has impeded your ability to make any additional moves this uh, this season. I think that's the craziest part. Um yeah. Maybe that's going way too far, but I don't I don't I don't think so. <laughs> so cuz cuz I mean, how long is Frank Vogel going to continue to situ- like how much is the situation going to change when we continue to get into these close games, Tommy, where Frank Vogel isn't going to say yeah, you know, I think we just needed better off-ball play and someone who plays better defense than Westbrook, and I knew the ball was going to be in LeBron's hands, and right now THT is more productive. So even in this like de- sort of like debilitated state that THT's been, he's still a better option than Westbrook to close. Everything is just very upside-down, topsy-turvy backwards right now. So they have a lot of stuff to figure out, I think, is the is the it summary is, here is. and i don't think we're confident that they will <laughs> so well, we can hope but well i don't think they will because right now it just feels like every 
level of the team is pointing the finger at somebody else. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the players are pointing the finger at the coach. The coach is pointing the finger at the front office. You know what I mean? And the front office is, I don't know what they're doing. They're, <laughs> you know, they're having dinner together. They're playing Pokemon Go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're playing Pokemon Go. So it's, it's, yeah. And I just want to be very clear to anyone listening to this who hasn't listened maybe before. I don't know who would do that. You're crazy if you are if you are doing that. But, you know, if, if you – we're not here trying to be like, oh, the Lakers had all these assets. They needed to flip a blockbuster trade to make this team competitive at the deadline. They needed to get Miles Turner. They needed to get Jeremy Grant. That is, like, not even close, you know, to kind of what I thought was necessary for this team. I was thinking – Based on how we've looked the last few weeks, you know it would help some guys like Aaron Holiday and Tori. I almost called him Tori. Tori <laughs> Craig. You know what I mean? And guess what? Phoenix Suns, who are a legitimate basketball organization, acquired both of those guys today at the deadline. You know what I mean? Like the, Even a guy like Vernon Carey, I would be like, I don't know who that guy is, but it sounds like we're thinking yeah. outside of the box. <laughs> Point is, like, you know, change it up on the mark. Like, Tori Craig is not going to score a ton of points, obviously. Norris Holiday, both of those guys are way better defenders than like anybody we have right now. You know what I mean? Those guys would jump into the rotation on Saturday in our next game and 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 play right away and would be useful. And if you add, if we made additions of like two guys like that, right? Which by the way, I know Phoenix gave up on Jalen Green, who was like a Jalen Smith, uh, Jalen Smith, excuse me, who was like the number ten pick a couple years ago. So. I understand maybe we didn't have like an asset to compete with that for Tory Craig, but maybe I don't know how teams view that that prospect. But other than him, they just gave up a second round pick. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if we had made some move, like one or two moves like that, to add real NBA players to this roster, then you could you you could convince me that with those one or two players that we added via trade who were real NBA players, and then one or two players that we add in the buyout market who are real NBA players, this team could make a push. Which, by the way, I define a push as like getting out of the play and getting to like the seventh or sixth seed. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like make a maybe a push for the sixth seed. Um, as it stands now. I don't understand how we even make a push to avoid two play-in games. Or like last year we had the one play-in game. I feel like we're going to be in a situation this year where we have to win two play-in games to just make the playoffs, which the way this team has played consistently all year is by no means a guarantee, right, yeah. that we can beat anyone in in consecutive games. So it's just like a huge huge mess. Um it's a huge and, bummer. And I, yeah. It's a huge letdown. Uh, one thing that I did uh, just stumble upon is the fact that the Lakers were uh, were apparently engaged with Toronto for Kem Birch and Chris Boucher, um, which I kind of find intriguing. And maybe there's some glimmers of hope there with them sort of thinking outside of the box. Um, Chris Boucher is six nine with a seven foot four wingspan. Um, he is sort of that, he is sort of like an, uh, like a poor man, Serge Ibaka, Miles Turner. Um, he averaged 13.6 points last year, 6.7 rebounds, hit 1.53s on 38% shooting. So that could have been interesting. But when I looked at his age, Tommy, this dude is 29 years old. I'm like, oh, I thought 
Chris Boucher was younger than that. And then Kem Birch is a solid big man, but he's also 29 years old. So I'm not sure where talks kind of uh, <laughs> Chris fell. B- yeah. Chris Boucher's nickname is apparently Swatter Boy. <laughs> Swatter Boy. I mean, he gets a lot of blocks, but um, he, Swatter Boy. he averaged almost two blocks last year in only 24 minutes. So he would have been an interesting prospect, maybe next to Anthony Davis. I'm just not sure if we were willing to give THT or if I would have been happy if THT was moved in in that sort of respect, that would have been sort of like, you're definitely selling super low, but I don't know. I don't know where we land on, on evaluating even those potential deals, but our next evaluation point for this front office is obviously the buyout market. And we will, you know, talk about names that come, come our way that, that are bought out in the next coming days or whatever in future podcasts. But for now, We'll leave it where it is, and um, I'm usually an optimistic person, but I, <laughs> I'm i kind of done with this season, so I honestly don't know where we go from here, um, but I guess there is, we can hold out, quote-unquote, hope for the buyout market and some money ball margin moves that semi-excite us, because honestly, for me, I just want to hear a name I haven't heard before, who's young, who's hungry, let him play, you know, I'm tired of these old dudes bickering and squabbling and Come having these identity crisis towards the end of their careers, you know, and just it all snowballing on top of one another. And then Frank Vogel, not, you know, kind of Frank Vogel is on a mission on his own, Tommy. He's like a renegade out there, like shooting people up. Like he doesn't care anymore. He knows he's not coming back. And it's just, it's just such a toxic situation all around. Um, but that's kind of where we're at right now. It's no man's land and everybody has their own sort of um, priorities and, yeah, none of them are aligned, unfortunately. So with that said, we'll leave it here. NBA trade trade deadline for the Lakers, womp, womp, womp. For the rest of the league, a lot of big things are happening. Maybe we'll get to that in a, in a future episode. But for now, I will catch you guys later. Tommy? Peace. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.